Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of the Substack podcast. I think we can call this a, a pop-up episode. I'm Hamish. I'm one of the founders of Substack, and I'm delighted today to have with us on this episode, Bill Bishop, the first ever Substack publisher. And Bill is very special to the company because we built the first version of Substack around him. He's an OG newsletter writer. He'd been doing it for five years already before he came to Substack with a free newsletter that was called Cynicism. It continues to be called Cynicism. People often wonder how to say it because it's spelled S-I-N-O-C-I-S-M, but it's not cynicism, right, Bill? It's it's cynicism. Oh, yeah. I'm too cynical, so I figured I'd have something that rhymed with it. Yeah, and unfortunately, you have lots of reasons for cynicism in the classical sense um, because this uh, these days, because this is a newsletter about China and U.S. relations in particular, uh, for an English-speaking audience uh, from someone who is an old China hand. Bill's been in and out of China for many years now. He's a former entrepreneur. He was in the states actually. He was a co-founder of Market Watch, the um, finance news site. He left that after a while and went to China and started a games studio there. He'd been to China before, uh, a few years before that, and including a stint in 1989 where he was kind of a stringer for a TV news network uh, who happened to be there during uh, Tiananmen Square, the the famous uh, protest and massacre that ended up happening there in 1989. Fixer, actually. I just got to schlep stuff around and pretend I was translating. Fixer, not a stringer. Okay, crucial crucial distinction there. Uh, But yeah, you you would run videotapes from hotel to hotel to get it to uh, CBS. Right. Yes. Um, And Bill, Bill, I've known personally for a long time because I'm a former reporter and I used to live in Hong Kong and Bill was in Beijing at the time. And I was writing about digital marketing among other things. And he was always my go-to guy for um, quotes and insight about how the market was developing in China. This was around 2007. And so Bill uh, was influential then as he is now. And later on, a few years later, I'd end up writing a profile about uh, Bill for a different publication I was uh, working for and his influence on English language coverage of China because he knows so many reporters and is read by so many journalists and really shapes how they think to some extent. And I was a daily reader of Cynicism in its free days even. And I saw one day that he was planning to make this free newsletter paid he wanted to introduce paid subscriptions and he kept on saying, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming soon, uh, but was delaying the launch of the paid version. And in the meantime, we had the idea for Substack and jumped. I jumped into Bill's inbox and said, hey, Bill, we're making this thing called Substack. It's going to be a really simple way to do a paid newsletter. Would you be interested in uh, being the first publisher? Because I know that you're considering something like this. And happily, Bill said yes. And history was kind of made. Just over four years ago today, he launched the paid cynicism on Substack, immediately found success. And that's why we're doing this episode. Four years ago, the first Substack publication appeared. It was Bill Bishop's Cynicism. It has been a rollicking success. And it set off a series of events that led to what Substack is today. So thank you, Bill, for coming here. Congratulations on the four-year anniversary. Thank you for publishing with Substack. No, thank you. And thanks for reaching out. Um, I still have that email. I think maybe I'll sell it as an NFT once you guys, uh, (laughs) you know, 
go whatever valuation you end up with. Um, I also should add, I loved, I loved the product so much that a few months later, I insisted I, you allowed me to invest. So I'm a happy uh, investor too in Substack. Thank you. That's right. You are hopelessly conflicted because- Yes, I am hopelessly conflicted. Um, in a good way, well, you know, some people say no, conf- no interest, no conflict, or no conflict, no interest, What's, uh, whatever it is. Um, <laughs> but yeah, four years in a blink, but um, I, uh, you know, you guys were great. You, um, first you and Chris and Jaraj, you, you know, built, basically built it for me, the first version, and all sorts of uh, uh, fun issues with group subscriptions the first few weeks, four years ago, and now it's an absolute machine. I think- one of the reasons for this um, episode is that I think people can learn from your experience and get advice for how to build a kind of media business like you're building on Substack. And I just wanted to get some of your personal perspective on what, on what this uh, four-year period has been like for you, what you've learned along the way. Um, but maybe I'll start by taking us back to that day when I emailed you and said, hey, how about this? What, what was that like from your perspective? Like, this must have come kind of out of the blue for you. You like the idea of betting on this startup um, that had two or three people working for it at the time um, with this model that was not yet fully proven. There were people out there, Ben Thompson with Stratechery being one of them. Um, but yeah, what was it like to get that email? What did you think? And why did you decide to indulge it? So actually the, in the um, uh, sort of late in 2016, I'd had a lot of uh, fair number of conversations with Ben Thompson and he really convinced me to uh, switch to the paid model. And, you know, he told me sort of what his backend was. And I, I had figured out how to kind of hack together WordPress, memberful, Stripe, um, MailChimp, um, pretty, pretty sort of kludgy, but it was looked like it was going to work. And actually, I was originally going to launch it in um, uh, sort of April, May of 2017. And then um, just had some issues with, with both of my parents. And so I had to delay it. Um, and then the plan was to do it sometime in the fall. And then you popped up in my inbox and quite honestly, you just, the way you guys articulated what you wanted to build. Um, and, you know, I knew you and looking at Chris's, uh, Chris's background, um, you know, he looked like he was a very strong technologist. It just, I said, why not, you know, I mean, if you're going to crash and burn, at least someone else will be helping me. Otherwise, I'll just crash and burn on my own with these with these <laughs> random WordPress plugins. It made as much sense to take a flyer with you guys as to try and whack it together myself. And fortunately, my instincts were correct, and you guys delivered in way beyond anyone's expectations. I'm really glad it worked out. Should mention here that Ben Thompson is uh, kind of like the predecessor to all Substackers who runs his own blog slash newsletter. It's called Stratechery. He analyzes the business models of technology companies. He publishes a, a free post each week that is a deep dive analysis. And then he uh, publishes subscriber-only posts by email for anyone who pays $100 a year or maybe it's $120 a year now, something like that. And he was doing so well at the time. This is 2017 when you launched on Substack, October 2017. And telling anyone who would listen uh, that they should try this model as well. Yes, and um, we couldn't really figure out why people weren't taking him up on that advice. We, we guess that Thompson was making in the seven figures writing about um, these technology business models from his spare bedroom in Taiwan, effectively. And our bet was that most writers are happy just to be good writers and are not necessarily uh, technologically savvy enough to be able to cobble together these disparate tools or business savvy enough to sort of construct this kind of economic model around their work. 
but they'd, they'd be happy to give it a shot if someone could make it as easy as uh, one click for them to get started. And, and that's where the whole idea for a Substack came out of. Is, but is that is that the way you were thinking of it as well? Were you were you convinced by Ben's perspective? Or did you think it was kind of like a long shot? How were you thinking of it at the time? I was convinced by his perspective. I was also, uh, frankly, I needed a job and I'm too old to sort of been too ornery to be hired by anybody. I had I had one successful startup and one total failure that that game company in China and um, figured it was you know another, a time for another startup. So I mean I look at look at cynicism as its own startup and you know I, I had built up a list of I think at the time we started talking close to 30,000 30, free subscribers over the years and so you know again it was sort of the best asset I had in terms of trying to build a business and so if it it just seemed like the stars were aligned that it was, it was a, had a reasonable um, chance of success. And, you know, again, having done market watch, I was on the business side. I was never a journalist, but um, sort of having seen web one Oh media and how those models are developing and sort of paid attention over the years to, to sort of different trends. Again, it just really felt like there was a moment where the internet and consumers were ready for this kind of a model. Um, and so, like I said, you know, things sort of all kind of aligned for the, really for the, really it was a confluence of factors that really made it the, the right time. And so um, a relatively easy decision to, uh, to move forward with you guys. And why did you start the newsletter in the first place? So primarily because my game company had blown up, I was, I was, um, failure is hard. Um, my, my spouse is also an entrepreneur. We had little kids and, so it was, it was actually quite fortunate I got to you know be a stay-at-home dad for several years, but I wanted to sort of do something kind of productive. Um, my, I have sort of, I got my master's degree in effectively Chinese sort of research, looking at Chinese elite politics, uh, high level of Chinese language proficiency, felt like, you know, there was, uh, you know, the blogosphere was just getting started. Uh, Twitter was just sort of, I think when I was just getting started, so the information environment was very different, but you know, my perspective was I was not particularly uh, satisfied with the English language uh, media coverage of China. Um, and so I wanted to add sort of a different perspective. You know, for me, very early on, I realized I couldn't write sort of long, cogent blog posts on a regular basis that actually were insightful and worth people's time. And so I decided to become more of kind of like a meta editor where I was able to, where I was pulling in mostly Chinese language sources. Um, to sort of create a digest where I'd add in my own commentary and thoughts. Um, and that, you know, it's evolved over time, but that's sort of my basic model. There's so much going on around China. Nobody is a China expert. They're way smarter people on all sorts of issues in not just in English, but in Chinese and other languages. Um, and so my tagline for the newsletter is, you know, get smarter about China. It's trying to help surface the most interesting uh, sources from all over the world in, in in primarily English and Chinese um about key topics related to China. So back to your question, really the genesis was, you know, I, I'm not super happy with the way media is covering it. My old job at MarketWatch, um, you know, our CEO, our founder Larry Kramer, one of his insights and why we started a media column early on was, well, if you want media to pay attention to you, you have to write about them. So I started the newsletter and would write about media coverage about China. And then, of course, they all had to read it. And then they found it useful. And then it becomes this very, became this very virtuous, virtuous um, cycle where then they read me, they talk to me, and we'd sort of work through. And so, um, 
you know, there were times when it was, it was, you know, it was very critical, less critical now, but it was, it was a very interesting um, sort of way to build up the list and influence early on. Um, and then, you know, again, like anything, you got to be consistent. So you got to, if you're going to, if you're going to write something, you got to figure out what your schedule is and you got to deliver. And, you know, you can't blog for, for a month and then take a month off or do for six months and then go away for six months. You know, then people just, you just look kind of flaky. If you gotta, if you're going to do it, you got to treat it like it's like a job. And you're pretty amazing at that. What, what time do you get up each day to write this newsletter? I don't know. It's usually between 5.30 and 6. Um, and I apologize today to my subscribers. The newsletter is going to be late. This is my second uh, second meeting. Um, <laughs> so, it's, so uh, but, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a full-time job. I mean, it's, you know, I, I write four days a week and, and then I have a weekly, like a f- um, community subscriber community forum on uh, Fridays, um, which that only takes me a couple hours to put together usually. But it's, it's a, I mean, easily 50, 60 hour week going through this stuff. How do you develop the discipline to, to keep going like that? You know, on the one hand, this kind of job is great because I don't have a, I don't have one boss, but the, the other problem is I have many thousands of bosses and, <laughs> you know, I'm taking people's money and, you know, I have to deliver the service, right? I mean, it's, it's a real responsibility. I like, I like it, but it's also, I have people who are expecting a product and, you know, if I, if I flake out, then that's gonna, that's gonna hurt my business. And the, the newsletter didn't not make money completely in its free period. You, you did a couple of donation drives. Is that right? Like, yeah. Know. Well, I was living in socialist, socialist China. So I figured I'd try the socialist model, which was, if you want to give me money, please do. And if you don't, don't. And actually surprisingly people gave me money, but it ended up not being sort of enough on a consistent basis to really make it worthwhile. And at the time there were really was not easy to build to find like a good subscription back end to work with that didn't involve a lot of um, custom development work that I didn't want to pay for. Um, and so, so again, it, like I said earlier, just you guys came along and I mean, yes, people have been blogging for a long time. There've been newsletters for decades and, you know, back then they're all paper. Now they're all electronic, but I mean, you guys had that insight that really helped just basically open the field wide open. And it really was, you know, people look at it and say, oh, well, what's the big deal? It's just like a payment gateway. But, you know, from the perspective of someone writing a newsletter, it was all I do is write my newsletter. It was plug and play. And we do help handle customer support, which people underestimate. If you end up with a reasonable sized business, I think you underestimate the um, a lot of people tend to underestimate the, the amount of time that you end up having to spend dealing with customer issues. Yeah, actually, customer support. We kind of forget to mention that a lot in terms of you know what's special about Substack, but that we take your customer support down to zero is significant. I think the ideal we're aiming for is that you don't have to do anything. You don't have to think about anything except the writing itself. Yeah, no, that's that's. I mean, that's that's where I am, and you know, I, I, there are other competitors out there. But again, for me, from the perspective of running a business, I'm happy to. You know, again, we've talked about my conflict at the beginning, right? As an as an investor, but I'm much I'm happy to give up a couple extra points of my business because I don't have to deal with anything other than worry about writing the product. And and I think that um, you know, so so again, that's and you guys have also improved the customer support. So it feels like there it certainly seems like there are less issues. You know, you work, you figured out how to how to build all sorts of FAQs and a lot of more self service, which is which is key as well. Yeah, it's becoming more and more of a machine. But so when you started Substack on that first day, 
October 15th, 2017. By the way, let me remind people your URL is cynicism.com. That's S-I-N-O-C-I-S-M.com. I say that too because we tell writers all the time. You got to tell people what your URL yes. is. But that first day you launched, October 15th, 2017, what were you hoping for? And then how did what happened match up with your, your hopes? So, I, you know, I was hoping I had about 30,000, um, I think just almost exactly 30,000 uh, people on my free list. And I was hoping for somewhere around a 5% conversion to paid um, subscriptions. And um, I think we pretty much hit that within a, within about 24 hours. And then, um, you know, it's grown. The free list has grown. I mean, the key, of course, right, is you got to grow the funnel. So, so I mean, my actual conversion to subscription um, percentage number has gone up, but I think it's it's still below 10%. I think most people, I don't know if anyone has a 10% sort of paid to, to free list, um, but it seems like the, the, the general target, the general sort of average is somewhere between five and 10%. Um, but so after the first day, I had a six-figure business and I was very fortunate. After the first day, I had a six-figure business, annualized business. Then I was like, okay, this is real. I, I got to, you know, this is great. I've got a sustainable business and I got a whole bunch of people I got to satisfy, you know, with the work. And so, but I was ready, you know, I was ready to do it. Yeah. You mentioned there the conversion rate was somewhere between five and 10%, which is quite common. What we've found is that if you start on Substack natively and you build your list on Substack with the the purpose in mind of doing this paid newsletter, the, the conversion rate is very commonly uh, around 10% or even above. But for mm-hmm. someone who imports a mailing list from a newsletter that they've started elsewhere, then the conversion rate uh, tends to be a little bit lower than that. Um, but five to 10% is a pretty good, uh, a pretty good rule overall. And um, did you have a sense for like, did you have some sort of threshold that you needed to cross to give you the confidence that, this is going to be something that you continue with. Did we, were there any doubts in your minds in those early days? I mean, quite honestly, was nervous before we started. I mean, the feedback sort of anecdotally I got from, from various um, readers I talked to was positive, but you never know, right. Until people actually, you know, give you your credit card and pay. And, and I, um, it, it, once after the first day, I was like, okay, this is great. This is enough to make it, you know, make it worth it. Right. So that you was see, very I, fortunate. I, I have a I have a slightly different memory of that from you, Bill, because I remember you never been satisfied with the numbers that were showing up. You're always like grumping down the phone to me that oh, you're hoping a few more people will show up, home a few more people show up, and then after after a few months, you eventually <laughs> stop complaining. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you, you, it's like again, the other thing is you're running a business, right? So so even if your business is is decent size, you still want it to grow. If it doesn't grow, it's like a personal affront, <laughs> right? And so. Um, you can't say, oh, it's all wonderful. I don't, I don't care anymore. There was a moment, I think, in the third month when there was really like growth dropped way off where it's like, okay, if this is if this is the way it's going to be, this isn't this isn't great. Because, you know, you get used to like looking at the first couple of months, we get a lot of growth. But I think, you know, one of the things you hear a lot about you guys is, oh, well, it only works for people who come with a following. And, you know, I think that in my case, there's no question having the following made, made the difference. You know, the, the flip side is I didn't, you know, I built that following by, you know, I, I was doing, you know, I, I wasn't part of a big media organization. I wasn't a celebrity. It was actually, and maybe the, the environment's changed now, but, you know, I was an early user of Twitter. So I was, I sort of had built a big presence in sort of the China Twitter world. And then I had this free newsletter or this free blog. And, you know, I was doing consulting on the side to sort of sort of China related stuff that was actually paying the bills for a few years. 
plus my spouse was was working. But it's definitely, you know, starting from zero, I can see it's, you know, you got to have the ability to persevere. Yeah, there's no such thing as an instant media business, right? You don't just get given a media business for showing up. You've got to build it and you built it over five years of time. And the next Bill Bishop is building her list on Substack right now, keeping a newsletter free and maybe going paid one day. And it's going to look like instant success when she eventually does go paid, but it's it's hard work. It takes time and energy and investment, and it, it should be hard work. It's the, the, These are quality products that are supposed to improve people's lives and help them with their lives. They're not supposed to just be the random musings of bloggers. Right. And like I said earlier, you know, you, you have to set expectations for what your schedule is. I mean, it, maybe it's not every day. Maybe it's not three times a week. Maybe it's once a week or twice a week, but you set that expectation and you deliver on it. Right. And, and you deliver. And, and the other thing that, that, that I think, again, you know, was, was sort of the mantra back in the Markwatch days. And I think it, I think it really applies is basically, you don't know, you know, you, you have to do something for many months before maybe anyone even cares. Right. And so, so if, you, if you're starting from a small base, you know, you have to do it for six months. And if you have to have a, if you're doing it on the side, then you still have to stick with it for six or eight months. And only then can you judge about whether or not you maybe you're, you're really heading in the right direction, I think. And how do you think about the promotional piece? Because this is one thing I'd say to writers is that you have to tell people that you're actually doing this work over here, that people aren't just going to find you by accident. How do you, how do you think about that stuff and marketing? So, yourself? I mean, it's, it's interesting. Again, you know, the information environment is so much different now than it was even, even four or five years ago. I think for me, the prom- promotion was mainly Twitter, sort of my own free newsletter, and then a lot of um, mentions in media, mm. um, you know, talking to reporters, getting quoted, you know, the, the nice ones would put links in their online stories back to my to my um, newsletter site. Um, I think that from a promotion perspective, I mean, you got to, especially if you're trying to build your business, you, you got to show up. You, you, you If you can talk at events, talk at events, be very uh, gracious and accommodating with reporters who are covering who are looking at the sort of whatever topic area you're covering, be helpful, make their lives easier, right? Because you want to be able to leverage those bigger platforms, right? Even even if you don't like mainstream media or you want to do your newsletter because you think mainstream media has it all wrong, there still is actual potential value to you and your business by figuring out ways you can leverage that mainstream media. The other piece, the other bit, of course, is free content and how you turn free content you know, building that funnel, building that list. So you, so putting out free content, finding, you know, hoping it somehow goes viral, slightly viral for a lot, you know, I would push it out on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, obviously, as well as my newsletter. And then ultimately, you know, make sure that in your, in that free content, you have very uh, clear and enticing or, or compelling calls to action to get people to sign up for your, your, your free list. Right. And then over time, you, you know, you, again, you build the funnel and if you can stay it, say you're 5% convert free to pay, you get 10,000 people on your free list. That's 500 paying subscribers. You know, you do the math and it can very quickly become a pretty interesting little business or pretty interesting big business. And another thing I like about cynicism, what you're doing is that you're not selling what it is. You don't sell people on like, this is a newsletter about China with the news um, file daily. It's get smarter about China. You're selling the value of being a subscriber to this thing. How do you think about that? So, you know, I have a, I have a really fortunate, I have a wonderful large community of paying subscribers from all over the world um, in all sorts of different 
jobs and academic institutions, our journalists, our students. And, you know, there's some of the some of the people whose work I read and really respect on China are also subscribers. And so continue to try and find ways to sort of build more of a community so that subscribers, you know, recognize the value isn't just sort of the newsletter I send them, but finding ways for there to be more interaction between other subscribers. But I think, you know, that ultimately is another way that you can build a really interesting business around your, your newsletter efforts. Because again, you know, at least the way I look at things and, and sort of, you know, trying to trying to put out information about China, there's just no way that I'm the smartest person on any of these topics. Right. No, I mean, seriously, there's so many smart people and, and, you know, China is so big and so, and so complex and so diverse and, you know, so global now that, you know, it's, it's really about finding ways to bring together the best information and the best people. Um, and, and, and quite honestly too, when you look at sort of how the, the broader information environment and specifically Twitter um, has just become so degraded and so nasty um, finding a way to build a much more curated, a much more civil and a much more intelligent community around specific topic areas, I think does have a lot of value. And what's worked for you in cultivating that community? So um, these weekly threads are good. You end up, there's all, you always sort of run the risk of the, I forget the exact term for it, but there's always one or two people who sort of dominate the conversation Um and I found that if I'm active in the thread, it, it tends to be get more people involved, um, which is good and bad. Um, um, I have launched a Discord server this week um, for cynicism, which is um, working through some issues of getting people onboarded. But <laughs> I have like a few hundred people in there already since I put it out about 20 hours ago. And, um, you know, it, it's 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 one of those things where um, I'd like to have more um sort of more tools and, and more ways to do it. Um, it, it is a, um, uh, it's, it's a work in progress, but I think going forward, it's something that anyone who's trying to build these kind of newsletter businesses should definitely be, um, be aware of. I mean, my, you know, I, I was joking with somebody, you know, um, I mean, my goal is not to sort of kind of have these sort of newsletter flame war kind of, posts or approaches to, to building the business. It's really trying to build um, a, a more of a, um, uh, I don't, sober is not the right word, but just sort of more of a rational um, kind of discussion. Reflective. About, sorry, reflective, reflective, right? And and that's hard on any topic these days. Um, you know, it's, it's obviously, it's hard about China given everything that's going on. Um, and, you know, we're, I think, I think they're, they're made some progress, but it definitely, there's a lot more I'd like to do and like to be able to do. So you've been at it for four years, which is a long time. It's the longest <laughs> anyone's ever been doing a Substack, <laughs> And you would have seen lots of ups and downs during that time. I'm talking about from the business perspective, but there are times of slow growth, times of hot growth, times of plateauing. Mm-hmm. How do you get yourself through those times when the things are not just going all guns blazing all the time? How do you keep going and keep yourself motivated in those sort of well, I mean, periods. Four, four years into it. It's a lot. It, it's, it's, you know, it, 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 it's a, um, you know, it, it's, it's no longer sort of getting um, dis- like 
you know, it's a free sort of freaking out what's going on. It's more about, okay, you know, this is, it's, 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 I'm frankly surprised it's gotten as big as it has been given, um, given the sort of the, the topic area. Um, but it's, it's a, um, you know, it's just an opportunity to sort of experiment with what are the, what are the ways, um, you know, maybe try some new things or mix up some of the content and see if that doesn't help sort of bring in, um, bring in more subscribers. Um, you know, it's, it's one of the reasons why, um, you know, I want to launch this discord server. It's sort of another way to get people more engaged. Um, you know, I'm going to launch, um, uh, something else pretty soon. Um, I think to try and, uh, again, what, what, what are you going to launch? So I'm launching a podcast with, with the help from Substack and it just give me the cynicism podcast, but it's going to be, you know, I haven't quite figured out the frequency, have a, a handful of initial guests lined up. I just have to get the scheduling worked out. But the idea is that's going to be, I think, put that out as a free product. With the podcast, it's a way to, I think, reach a different, a broader audience. I've been a guest on a lot of podcasts, never hosted one. It's not easy. I'm trying to make it so that it actually sounds very good and professional. Awesome. We'll see. Yeah. Right. But the beauty, the beauty of this stuff is you can try it. And you know what? If it if it falls on your face, you just delete it and people forget in a few months, right? <laughs> So uh, how's your experience of Substack, the, the platform and the product change over the years? There's way more stuff than we launched. Um, it feels like every couple of weeks stuff gets changed and added. Um, you know, the settings page used to be about, well, you can, it used to be, you know, about a foot long and now it's about like, I don't know, like four feet long on my screen. <laughs> no, but it's, but it, there's, there's a lot more functionality there, right? I mean, I was in WordPress for a long time and WordPress has, WordPress has more functionality um, you know, but it's also bloatware, right? I mean, you know, but there, and, and I tried medium, you know, there, there's, you guys are, you know, your, your, your CMS, your content management system was, was quite bare bones when we launched and that that's fine because it's a text, primarily text-based, but you've obviously added a ton of other, um, features to it and, you know, more customization and, um, you know, there, there's definitely, it's an evolution and there's, there's still things I would love to see, um, to sort of get added in over time. But when I started with you guys, it was the few thousand people read my newsletter. Now you have millions of people every month who read something on, on a, you know, in a Substack newsletter and, um, you know, tons more options for content you can put in your newsletter and the podcast, you know, how you sort of disseminate on podcasts. And so, um, it's been a, it's been a very, it's been a very good evolution. And quite honestly, you know, the, the, one of the things I really appreciated was I think you've gone down like twice since I launched with you guys. Yeah. We've got good systems team. I, I remember yeah. in this, I remember in those very early days before we launched cynicism, before Substack was known as a product at all. It was Chris and I, we went to Washington DC and we stayed in my mother-in-law's uh, basement and went with you to a Starbucks near your house. Mm -hmm. You were kind of moving between houses at the time. And Chris sat in with you, uh, sat with you in that Starbucks and hammered out how the group subscriptions were going to work in Substack. And it's become a really important feature that not everyone actually knows about this, but you can sell subscriptions to groups. One person with one credit card can come and sign up 50 people on the same yeah, credit card. It's a big part of my business. Yeah. Like I, I remember those um, early days and the, the reason it was built was because of you. And the reason we um, had a foundation to iterate from was because of your needs and what, what you wanted. And now, yeah, it has grown, it has grown a lot, but that we've continued that approach where we, we choose these kind of lighthouse publishers around which to uh, serve the needs deeply and then generalize the features so it can uh, serve many more people. So everyone who's using Substack today um, 
is using some feature that was originally demanded by Bill Bishop. <laughs> Although there were some that aren't in there yet, but that's okay. We're still working on that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, uh, well, we'll take that conversation offline. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. It's, it's um, no, it's true. And that, and that, again, you asked earlier, I mean, I was very fortunate that I was able to join when I got a lot of attention. Right. But again, it, it really has been remarkable to see how, how much it's evolved. And, you know, I think, the, one of the new features I like, I like how you guys now in your stats, you sort of can say, you can see how many of your paid subscribers came from the platform versus outside the platform, mm-hmm. um, which is useful, right? Because it, it is a way of seeing that, um, you know, if, if someone is already on Substack paying someone else, it's just the, what a click of a button to subscribe to a different Substack. That's right. And that yeah, makes it a lot right. easier. Thank you for that very uh, subtle advertising message, Bill. Well, no, but it's, I mean, it is advertising, but, but to, um, again, it's, it's actually as a publisher on the platform, it is useful, right? Mm-hmm. It, it does actually, and, and I can see over the last couple of months, the sort of the proportion of new subscribers who are coming from, from the platform have, have been growing and that's, that's good. I mean, I hope, I hope it grows more and I'm looking forward to sort of more ways to help readers discover other substacks and sort of do more cross promotion. But it, it, it does seem like that that trend has been in, in is sort of, it's moving the right direction, at least yeah, from it, my perspective. Well, we're trying to make it move in that direction. So thanks for noticing. I've, I've tried to get you to talk publicly about how much money you're making through cynicism in the past. And for reasonable reasons, you've always resisted. So how about I just phrase it like this? Do you think people would be surprised, the outside observers, do you think they would be surprised by how good a business this is, this this one-man newsletter operation that you're running? Um, given the success of other people on the platform, they'd probably be surprised how small it is. <laughs> That's um, Bill's modesty. It's definitely... Uh, no, I mean, it's, look, look, I can't complain. It's a, it's a, it's the best salary I've ever made. And, um, you know, it, 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 again, I'm very fortunate and, and I wouldn't sit here and tell, say everyone, everyone can do that. But I think that they're, um, you know, and, and this again was it was one of the conversations we had. It was one of the conversations I had with Ben Thompson before I started charging, which was, and he said this repeatedly in podcasts and in his newsletter, is you know, your audience is the world, your distribution platform is the internet, and people around the world have how many different topic areas are they interested in? How many different things? So, so if you, for example, if you can become the expert, and we've talked because I would love to see more gardening newsletters on on Substack because I think that that's a massive market um, just from what I look at on YouTube and Facebook. But for example, if you become the rose person where you are the newsletter about how to grow roses, someone, if you're, the, if you're like one of the experts in the world and you have a Substack about roses, you'd be making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and people all over the world. And what's your advice for people on helping to figure out what their niche is and distinguishing themselves from others on Substack? What do they know? What are they good at? I mean, it's people, people are going to be paying you for your insight and your knowledge. So, you know, you have to pick an area where you know what you're talking about and and you have an ability to create and distribute content that is, is going to be of value um, and that people also trust you and your viewpoint and believe that you have something unique or some, you know, that you're one of the experts in this particular area. But again, you, when you look at sort of the Ben Thompson, oh, your, your audience is the world, for your potential audience is the world, the same thing, you're, you know, you pick an interest and even, again, even if it's, I mean, 
Even if it's rose is a big topic, find a smaller topic, purple roses. There are probably hundreds of thousands of people around the world who are interested in purple roses. I mean, you never know, right? And so that's the beauty of sort of how you can slice and dice. And so, and so why I, I find the opportunity around Substack so interesting is that really you can, you can have almost an infinite number of content topics and people all over the world can subscribe once the payment, sort of the global payment systems issues are fully resolved. Right. Bitcoin is coming. You added Bitcoin payments to your... Yes, I did. Right. How's that working out for you? I actually have, God bless the people who paid me Bitcoin in 2014 in my, or 13 in my, um, oh, wow. uh, in my donation drive. I think I got it. I think I got like point eight Bitcoin that I still own. So thank you. Whoever did it, it was anonymous. <laughs> if I knew who you were, I'd give you a lifetime subscription. <laughs> it's worth a few pizzas. Yes. Um, and back to you, your expertise, the U.S. China relations, uh, the news was happening in China each day, and you've been watching it for a long time now, but this period where you've been doing cynicism as a paid newsletter has been in a particularly interesting one, perhaps a particularly fraught. What's your read on where we're going? Like, what's life going to be like uh, between US and China in the next four years? So, I mean, it's it's actually been very mentally difficult some days to do a newsletter because it's quite depressing what's going on. And, you know, in the U.S.-China relationship, some of the stuff that's going on in China. Um, in general, I think that the trajectories are pretty much all bad and that there are, you know, it's, it's, it's different now than it was under Trump, but it's not necessarily better. And I think there's very little prospect of significant improvements in U.S.-China relations over the next few years. I also think that there's a lot of stuff going on inside China, um, you know, and Xi Jinping and the, the new era that um, are in many ways quite disturbing and have a lot of ramifications for the rest of the world and not all of them good. Um, and so I think we're, we're in for a pretty difficult period. And, you know, the pandemic has, I think, accelerated and exacerbated a lot of those tensions, um, opened up new ones. And those, there's no indication those are going to be sort of ameliorated anytime soon. So in general, it, it, um, um, you know, it's a fairly dark view of sort of where things are headed. That said, you know, it's also interesting to have spent, you know, last time I was in China, I lived there for 10 years from 2005, 2015. It's been interesting to be back in DC and watch as the US basically crumbles um, and, and sort of see you know, I mean, there's a real con systems contest now underway. And, you know, for, for a lot of Americans, we've sort of always had this assumption that, of course, our systems works and is good. And yet, you know, the events of the last couple of years to a lot of people, especially in China, no, nah, not really, you know, and, and so it opens up all sorts of other, um, other uh, opportunities or opportunities for other systems in ways that I think um, a lot of people 10 years ago would have thought would no longer would have existed. Um, and so we really are in a period of um, pretty significant change. And it's, it's like I said, it's, it's kind of grim to watch, but at the same time, it's also fascinating. And you're in an, an important position there. You're writing, your newsletter is read by State Department officials, um, academics, journalists, policymakers, um, and a bunch of other people who have influence uh, and lives and roles that are affected by what's going on in China. How do you see your role and your position at this moment in time? You know, I just, my role is just um, try to be an independent analyst. You know, I don't, I don't, you know, one of the, again, you know, one of the, one of the great things about having this business is 
you know, nobody, nobody pays me enough money to have any way ability to influence what I'd say or think. That's a very fortunate position to be in any area. And especially in sort of China related stuff these days, because there's, it's, again, it's such a fraught, it's just a fraught area. And so, you know, and I'm, I'm wrong about a lot of things. Uh, I, I hope people understand, you know, that it's what I write or what I say is because it's what I think it's not, you know, not influenced by, by sort of other, other motivations, but, you know, one of the things I, I do try and sort of reiterate or, or repeat in the newsletter is, you know, China's a, the, the, especially the, the, the Chinese political system is a very difficult thing to understand. And for most of the last few decades, we've, outsiders have gotten it wrong. And, you know, the risks of misunderstanding what's going on now are probably, are probably higher than they've ever been. And we're coming up on the next 13 months or a very important season in the Chinese political calendar with um, we got a big political meeting in about a month and then this, this annual or sort of every five years party Congress where usually there'd be a new leader, but next year there probably won't be, there'll probably be she from the feedback I've gotten is it's just, you know, nobody has, nobody has the, the fully correct answer on what's going on in China. And so the newsletter is just another piece, sort of another sort of data that they can input into how they're trying to make their decisions. But it's, you know, it's a, like I said, I mean, the information environment around China is very, very contested right now. And very, it's, you know, I, I, for example, last, about six months ago, I decided to protect my tweets because I found that Twitter was just becoming a complete cesspool. And, you know, part of it was, I just got sick of being attacked by all sorts of people, um, mostly on the sort of the, the sort of the pro China side or the, or the, what they call tanky side. It's just like, I don't want to, I don't want to waste my time in these information wars on Twitter. It's just, there's, it's pointless, right? It's not, you know, all I want to do is focus on my newsletter. I have my core readership. I hope I grow that and to try and have a more, a more sophisticated discussion of what's going on than what you're getting on places like Twitter. 100%. And, and being independent seems to be pretty critical to that. Yes. So you've got the uh, Cynicism podcast, although I don't know if you're going to call it that, but you've got the podcast coming up. What else are you looking forward to in the next, uh, the next few years, the next, the next phase of Cynicism, the, the media business? Uh, well, that's a lot to chew on right there. <laughs> um, between doing the newsletter and I have, I have a, a two part-time researchers right now. Um, and I'm always trying to, trying to expand that. Um, and, and I'm also, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's, this is, there's a lot to do. So um, I'm looking forward to figuring out how to keep doing the newsletter in a, in a way that adds value to the subscribers and hope that we don't end up in some sort of an unintended uh, conflict with China in the next three or four years, which I think is, is a much higher risk now than it was when I started the newsletter. Well, hopefully people can read Cynicism, which is cynicism.com, S-I-N-O-C-I-S-M.com. And get informed, get smarter about China. Don't lead us into any um, unwanted, inadvertent conflicts, please, people. Read, read cynicism to, to get smart about that stuff. Uh, but we'll leave it at that, Bill. Thank you very much uh, for making that big decision four years ago to take the bet on Substack. It's been a pretty amazing journey for us. I hope it has been for you as well. Uh, congratulations on, on the four years. Uh, you'll always be Substacker number one. Oh, thank you. <laughs> And, no, thank and, you guys. And thanks. And again, thanks to everyone. I think you said you're at 75 people now or thereabouts. So thanks to everyone at Substack too. It's, it's, uh, someday I'll get out to San Francisco and we'll, we can, um, I'll go to one of your parties. 
Awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely would love to love to host you here. We'll open up the comments under this podcast Uh-oh. episode on this post. People can ask Bill questions in the comments and um, I'll tap him on the shoulder and see if I can get an answer out of him. Okay, sounds good. Thank you.